presented on health-related programs on WERU is not meant to be taken as medical advice. Please talk with your health care provider if you have any questions or concerns. Support for WERU comes from Katahdin Pediatric Dentistry, providing treatment in all aspects of oral health care for infants, children, adolescents, and patients with special needs. Located in Bangor, KatahdinPediatricDentistry.com. Time is 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Healthy Options with your host Rhonda Feynman is up next. Good morning, I'm Rhonda Feynman. Today on Healthy Options, our guest is Margaret Mikolajacek. She's the executive director of the Restorative Justice Project in Midcoast, Maine. And as director, Margaret Mikolajacek is using her experience in educational, criminal justice, and social justice to work on creating a shift in how we think and respond to punitive measures in our society. The Restorative Justice Project hopes to alter attitudes and promote fundamental change in our communities, our justice system, and our schools. And on our program today, we look at the healthy options which restorative justice can offer, how it works, what it means for victims, offenders, and community. So welcome to Healthy Options, Margaret Mikolajacek. Good morning, and thank you, Rhonda. Great. So it's not easy to find a short description of restorative justice, but um, I, ha I have something here. Let's see if, if I'm <laughs> even close. All right, you can help me here. So restorative justice recognizes that crime hurts everyone, victim, offender, and the community and it creates an obligation to make things right. The three principles of restorative justice are offender accountability, victim restoration, and community involvement to heal the harm caused by crime. Yes. Pretty good? That's pretty good. All right, so let's uh, break that down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what's happening in Midcoast, Maine, what, what you're doing, and what, what, that, what, what all of that, what I just said, means in, okay. in the real world. Um, in the real world, what that means is um, we are uh, a multifaceted uh, organization in that we not only work from a prevention uh, side of restorative practices or restorative justice, um, but we also expand that to meeting it on the other end with those individuals who have actually are part of the system and who are coming back to our communities from prison after serving 15, 20, 25 years in uh, one of Maine state prisons. And uh, in working with the schools and teaching children um, and adolescents about how to be engaged in school, how to deal with conflict, um, that doesn't result in detention, suspensions, or expulsions. Um, as we know, there is uh, the school to prison pipeline that has really exasperated over the last 15 years with a lot of uh, zero tolerance policies and uh, three strike rules that have been applied to schools. So, um, and what that means is that in addressing those three key areas of looking at the offender, looking at the victim, but also looking at the community and understanding that when crime or wrongdoing happens in a community, um, the community at large, within a school, within a congregation, within a, a business, that it affects everybody and that there's this ripple effect that goes out from the point of the wrongdoing all the way out to the rest of us in our community. And, uh, and it's something that we often ignore. So as a community, how do we respond? How do we respond? So what, this is a, a, something that's been around, well, I, I think some of my research, we could, we could go back to uh, 
the Egyptians and <laughs> the Greeks, but exactly. um, more recently, uh -huh. um, this is being used in communities. In do you let, let me do you work with the criminal justice system, or are you an alternative? What the how, how how do you get how does how do you enter? Um, process. We enter it in a number of different places um, with uh, young juvenile offenders. We are part of a diversion program, so we work directly with um, the probation department. And the goal is to keep adolescents from entering the system. So, so these are first-time offenders? or um, offenders? They tend to be first-time. Um, the initial idea was to them for them not to end up with any type of juvenile um, record and be uh, in the state logs as having had an offense. But we also do it with those offenders who might have multiple offenses. They might be minor and then they step up to something a little bit more serious. And one of the key things in working with the juveniles um, at that point is to have them recognize the impact. Impact is the other real key thing um, that they had on the victim uh, and the person that they harmed. So uh, really doing that intervention early on. So with juveniles, that's where we enter. Um, with the jail or courts, uh, the courts, is, there's also a, a diversion program for 18 to 26-year-olds. Um, again, you know, really similar to the juvenile type of program. Um, and our hope with that is to, if they have felony charges, that those felony charges get reduced to a misdemeanor, or if there's a misdemeanor, that the charges get dismissed totally. What we know is that for young adults or any adult, that having a felony charge, no matter how minor it is, really impacts their life, their career, so, everything. So what, what does that mean, intervention? So let's say we have, uh, you know, what, what are, you, are you talking about violent crimes? Or are you talking about breaking an end? What, what do we... Uh, the majority, we... Um, it, it takes a while to get up. People definitely are dealing with really serious crimes, murders, Whoa. violent assaults, mm -hmm. um, but those aren't the time, types of crimes that we tend to deal with, and okay. those aren't really the types of crimes that we tend to have in the Midcoast area. Uh -huh. So it's a lot of, there's assaults, there's domestic violence, um, we do minor domestic okay. violence, um, a lot of burglary, robberies, a lot of drug-related, mm -hmm. okay. uh, mostly possession, um, okay. Some dealing. So you'll get referrals from different juvenile. Or I know I don't, there was something on your website about the Waldo County Juvenile. This is the probation. Yeah. That's juvenile right. Community Corrections that's Officers, it, JCCOs. It. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Um, right. Th they are they're our key to the juvenile program. We also work with the district attorney. Uh, the assistant district attorney who handles juvenile cases, and she actually covers the four-county area of Waldo, Knox, Sagahawk, and Lincoln County. So, and those are all four counties that we offer the juvenile diversion. So how does someone, uh, what's a good candidate? I mean, how do you, what, what is the process? What, what, what are we? What uh, is, a what good candidate is uh, uh, a person, number one, who admits to having committed the crime. So are they doing this voluntarily? Yes. They so just come in and go, okay, I did it. Um, well, they have a conversation with the probation officer or oh. the district attorney. Okay. And so depending on how um, upfront and honest they want to be about their involvement right. in the case, that is one of the pieces that okay. determines whether or not they get okay. this opportunity. Right. So, okay, so, the, so there's that. And then, I mean, are there, there are some people, 
I, I, I guess I'm just, what do we know about people, you know, the crime, the, the, uh, I mean, I, we, we always hear about the extremes, mm-hmm. people with no remorse, you right. know, they're, they're very, you know, uh, how does that work? And I mean, the uh, psychopaths. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, right. Um, so g- generally that's like 5% of the population that's currently incarcerated. That's okay. a really small number that are seriously a danger and um, right. need to be separated from society. The other 95% are okay. generally coming back to their communities right. after doing whatever amount of time that they're doing. Even though right. it might be 25 years, they're still coming back it's, at some point. Right. So what happens? So with this, let's g- just follow this juvenile person, mm-hmm. this young person through. So they've made a mistake or did mm-hmm. something, so, admitted. Yeah, there's a, oftentimes a police report and the police will summon them to court. Mm-hmm. Um, then the process goes to the um, probation officer. The probation officer reviews the case and decides uh, where this young person is at, whether or not they feel it would be a good idea, and they could, you know, take accountability and be responsible for what for what they've done. Um, if they feel that this young person is really at that place, they will refer them to um, a restorative conferencing process. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that point, we, we take the case on. We have a court diversion coordinator, and say Sarah Maddox, and she will take that then, and, and she will do a series of interviews with both the offender, um, the victim, any other uh, family members or support people that might be have any type of connection to the wrongdoing. And they're having these conversations with Sarah individually? Yes. Okay. After the interviews, then, um, we also invite community members at large that had absolutely nothing to do with that situation to represent that, um, you know, what you did isn't just about the person whose property you vandalized. Because now I feel unsafe in my own home. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Yep. So there's that that ripple that happens. Or now I lock my car all the time because I'm afraid somebody's going to break into my car. I don't have anything in it, but... Right. I don't want anybody in my car either. So, right. um, so yeah, so there's all of these, these pieces that go. So there's a lot of questioning of the young person about what their intent was. What do they think about that? How do you think those, that person feels? And it really gets to the emotional side of the wrongdoing mm. and really has them uh, do some reflection about who they are and, you know, and what this means. And then, you know, now people think young, all young people are like this. Is that what you want? You know, so then there's guidance with <clears throat> this person who m- this may be a, a pretty new concept in her reflection <laughs> yeah. in the criminal within the criminal justice system. Yes. Yeah, it's something we've definitely moved away from. Yeah, I think a hundred years ago there was more of that. Well, th- there was when all the the good deed doers, right, right, would come running in to save people. Well, yeah, and there was that piece about um, being yeah. accountable to your community. Was there? Okay. And, and, the, and being responsible so that, you, I mean, even for us, we know if we stole a piece of candy from the drugstore, um, yeah. what did your parents do? Marched you right back down <laughs> to that drugstore, and right. if you still had that candy in your pocket, you returned it or you paid for it. Right, exactly. And so, so you took care of business so that you didn't also carry that guilt. Right. And you weren't always under suspicion when you walked into the store, you know, and, and then that escalates. Yeah. And then you internalize, and then um, you start heading down a wrong path. The slippery slope. Yeah, exactly. But seriously, yeah. yeah. So, so the other part then yeah. is after... Um, uh, that we've talked with all of the parties involved is that everybody comes together. And this is the piece where it goes back to the roots of the indigenous peoples and First Nation peoples of, of the world. 
And um, the Maori tribes of New Zealand are the ones that really brought it back to the forefront by going back to their early traditions and having um, taking more ownership, more accountability and responsibility for the young people in their community. So this was fairly recently to bring this tradition back in? About 25 years ago. Okay, so that's very, mm-hmm. very recent. Right. And started, this is a, a, a rit- rituals or older practices that... Yes. just reclaimed. Exactly right. Yeah. And um, and the practice that we use is, is the circle. The circle is the base and everything. And, and a conference consists of all of these p- people coming together. Um, and what the circle does is it uh, just equalizes the power of the group. So, Sarah, just getting back to our, following our example, mm-hmm. we have, she's had a conversation with many participants, the offender, the victim, the and then the community the and families. families. Mm-hmm. And then ha- what happens after that? Uh, they all come together oh, that's in this, when it was. this big. Okay, so there, and what, and, and so there is a, there are these, are these like pre-meetings, we'll deal with this issue, we'll, we'll bring this up, how do, what, what gets discussed, or how do you know how to frame this kind well, of there's conversation? Well, uh, we follow a script. There's some oh, five okay. basic qu- questions that, um, we ask of the individual that can expand out in a number of different directions. And mm-hmm. then the first one is actually asking, so what happened? Mm-hmm. And hearing, you know, both sides and, and, and then asking, and so what were you thinking about at the time? You know, like, well, what, what provoked you to even consider doing that, knowing that that wasn't a really good idea? What have you thought about since? And generally, when you get to that question, it's about, well, I've, my family, this is what's happened in my family, this is what's happened with this, and, you know, this is what my friends aren't talking to me anymore because their parents won't let me hang out with them. You know, so there's all of these things that have happened that have changed their life from the way it was before. And then the next one is, who do you think has been impacted by it? And that's mm-hmm. where we get into them, um, you know, really understanding how the other person was impacted and, and, mm-hmm. and seeing how it, it influences the whole realm of people that are engaged in it. And then the final one is, and what do you need to do to make things right? So mm-hmm. it's all around those b- five questions that we run the conference through. And then everyone participates. Correct. So um, so for, I would say for the victim, that's a, I would possibly not everyone would want to participate. In, in that, because it can be very re-stimulating. I, mm-hmm. I do a lot of trauma shows here, so sometimes reliving it is a, a tough thing. How right. do we, yeah. Right. And I think, you know, that's why I said those, you know, that we don't do those more serious right. um, types of right. uh, assaults and that. So, right. you know, these are mostly property and personal okay. types of crimes. Um, yeah. And with, and everybody, you know, sees hope in a juvenile. So the victims are much more likely to participate. And we probably have about 80% that participate in person. Mm -hmm. If if they feel the reason that they wouldn't participate is they felt like they've given already given enough time to this incident and they don't want to have anything more to do with it. Right. And because sometimes scheduling and all that can be a little tedious and and people kind of lose their interest. But but we'll ask them to write a letter. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll take information back from the interview that we had with them that they want this person to hear. Sometimes we'll have a surrogate. If it's a shoplifting one, um, we have a really good relationship with the Belfast Co-op, and uh, they'll have one of their staff people come over and sit in. As a business owner, how does shoplifting impact a business? And I think also with whether um, even someone saying, you know, I've already spent enough time is already an impact. You know, Mm -hmm. that could make an impression that, 
you know, you've already messed with my life enough. And I'm not here. You know, you have to take responsibility. However, part of that is I'm still going to go to work now. Yeah. Or go on vacation Mm -hmm. or, you know, live my life, move forward. So I think that there's something even in the in the not being present that could be useful. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And And it's really important to uh, focus on the person who's been harmed, that victim person, so that their voice is really heard. And we really focus on and having that come across in the conference that they really hear how this either hurt this person, you know, inconvenience them in whatever way, and that, you know, it's just not simple and people just don't go on without being having something change in their life. Hmm. So, um, so it, and it's really transformational, the whole process. Those conferences generally last um, two to three hours. Um, wow. And um, very transformational for most young people. Um, and we've had, you know, 95% who've completed the process. The other piece that we add to that to help build um, and strengthen the community assets or uh, the community um, support for young people is that we provide a mentor. Ah. And and that mentor is their connection to the community to helping them fulfill their agreement. So if they have community service to do or they have um, things, you know, sometimes we'll say, you know, it seems like you're not really involved socially or in an after-school activity, but you like to play basketball. So... We think you should go ahead and try out for basketball or go to the Y and play basketball. And the mentor will help them make those connections to re-engage them in some pro-social positive types of um, engagement that keeps them connected to community. Um, Because what we know is that if we alienate these young people and keep pushing them away and keep labeling them as juvenile delinquents or as losers or whatever, that we not only lose them to our community, but we also lose them in the educational system because those are the kids that are going to be high risk of dropping out. And right now, um, in, in the state of Maine, the highest dropout is between 8th and ninth grade. Oh. And so thinking about that, you're 14, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? This is Healthy Options for those who've just joined us. I'm Rhonda Feynman. You're listening to WERU Community Radio, and our guest today is Margaret Mikolajacek the executive director of the Restorative Justice Project in Midcoast, Maine. We're speaking about the products, uh, pro- projects, challenges and successes right here in the Midcoast. And, uh, and we're uh, discussing how um, we can intervene to keep, at this moment, juveniles out of the major system and, uh, and, and help restore the community, the healthy aspect of the community mm-hmm. as well, to see the bigger picture. A little dose of, of, of uh, it's more than a homeopathic dose, I think. It's, <laughs> it's definitely a tincture. We're, we're in a tincture mode here of, uh, of intervening. <laughs> how, um, how are people trained to, uh, to, to get involved in this kind of process? Uh, we offer a number of different trainings. One is uh, mentor training. Um, we do a 12-hour mentor training to introduce um, volunteers to uh, restorative justice um, for them to also understand what the philosophy and the principles are of restorative justice is really important to us because not only are they becoming volunteers with the or- organization and mentors, they're also going to be spokespeople for us out in the community. And uh, the beauty of, I think, the restorative practices and the use of circles is that it's so um, able to transition from different situations 
Um, it's not just part of the, you know, working within the criminal justice system. It's about how are we as a community? How do we want to be with each other in community? So taking those principles and those practices and then applying them to our everyday life and, and, and taking it, you know, it's not just about justice in the justice system. It's about justice in the community and justice in our lives. Um, so, so really carrying that, that forward to that. So mentor training is a key component. We have a probably, oh, we have over 70 volunteers in the Midcoast area. It's a six-county area that we cover. And uh, we also do uh, training for facilitators to do the conferencing uh, piece. And then we also train teachers. So the training, uh, trainers are people who would facilitate a, a, a what, 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 there's a name for the, the circle. Is that, is that, a, a, is that different? Th uh, there's a community resolution mm -hmm. team. Mm -hmm. Is that what we're talking That's about? That's the or conferencing is that, that we use with the juvenile and young adult offenders. Okay, and that the team is the facilitator, the mentor. Okay. Um, so is the facilitator a community member? Or is that a staff member? Uh, it's both. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so people can learn yes. to really... Mm -hmm. hold this mm -hmm. as part of, of the larger society. Correct. So, because we, when we think about this kind of thing, we think, well, someone needs to be in a system somewhere. There has to be some authority somehow. And what we're saying is, wait a minute, yes, there is. Uh -huh. However, we can also all be the authority. We can all, all of us take a leadership position in, in this. Mm -hmm. It is. It's very much community-based. Mm -hmm. And grassroots or, you know, coming from the grassroots about how to do this and how to change a system that is so archaic in its approaches to dealing with crime, to dealing with offenders, to dealing with the victims, and dealing with the community. I mean, community really isn't part of the traditional system because we turn all of, all of the authority over to the quote-unquote experts, the attorneys, the judges, the district attorney, the police. Now, but they would say, well, we're we have this set of laws and that's our, that's what we're really doing. It's not about us. It's about these laws, <laughs> you know, but who, and, and I guess that's the question. And these are the questions as communities, who determines what the laws are, who determines what's appropriate compensation or appropriate mm -hmm. to, to bring someone back into society. And I know, you know, during the Reagan years for those who were there, and those who haven't, you know, the three strikes you're out and this whole, you mentioned that at the beginning, and that was on a larger scale for very, you know, it, you did a minor offense three times and that was it for your life. You mm -hmm. were gone. Um, and that, of course, increased the population of, of prisons and did not really make us safer, And I, I don't think. And I think that, I know the statistics would, would bear that out, perhaps. Um, but how do, in this small group, this circle, um, how do we determine what's appropriate? Who, what values, who does, how do we know, you know, how, this, it seems like it, it could go in a lot of different directions. Yeah. How do we? Mm -hmm. That's absolutely true. There is no formula for what the outcomes are going to be. It's really based on who is in that circle. Who comes to the circle? What do they feel is appropriate for that young person? What is it that the, the victim's looking for? You mm. know, wh what are their needs? What's going to help them heal and feel like they're, they're, that their needs have been met and this, that this young person has taken accountability and responsibility for their behavior and their actions? So, you know, one's living one's life. You're not really thinking necessarily about these big issues about 
community and crime, and then there you are, a victim. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, that's a huge responsibility in a way, you know, on top of having been violated in some manner, shape, or form. And I know in this case, we're not talking about major, you know, terrible traumatic, I mean, anything can be traumatic, mm-hmm. and all of these things, but we're not talking about, you know, the, the murder rape that at, at, this, at this moment. Um, although as we know that that is used in these kinds of situations in other, other programs in other parts of our country. So is it part of the process to kind of have that victim kind of start thinking about that? Is that there's mm-hmm. got to be a willingness to open, open that up a little bit and say, well, what, would, what is appropriate here? Mm-hmm. What, you know, not getting into the revenge, not getting into closed heart, all 14-year-old boys are this way, all 18-year-old boys are that way, you know, mm-hmm. or girls or whatever. So how, how does this process help them get to that when, again, that's not necessarily what they were thinking in their lives when they got diverted on this path? Right. Um, I, I think for most people, uh, their, their first introduction to this process is through the probation officer with juvenile cases. And what they will do is contact the victim and say, uh-huh. um, I'm thinking about referring this case to restorative justice. This is how the process works. Uh-huh. We're looking for this young person to understand and take accountability for their actions. We're looking for them to understand the impact. And we're looking at you know, them understanding how you've been hurt and how they've impacted your life. Are you willing to participate in this process with us? Right. And um, for most victims, they're more than willing because they want to be heard and they want to have their voices heard. And for most of them, all they're looking for is an, an apology. You know, some are looking for the restitution if there's monetary pieces involved, but mostly it's just like, I want you to understand how you've impacted me and how you changed my life and what my life was like after that happened. And one of these key stories that I always like to tell is um, one about three young men who um, were throwing apples and the apples hit a gentleman's car and, and knocked out a headlight mm. in it. And he was somebody who's from the area, had had a long business day, had had budget hearings and stuff that evening, so it was late at night. They were coming back from an adle- athletic event when they did this. Um, all three young men were headed to college. They were all seniors. They were wrapping up their year. And uh, this man came in and he says, let me just tell you how my day started that day. He said, in the morning before I left to work, I was already stressed because I knew I had these budget hearings in the evening. I had to put my dog of 14 years down. And he went through this whole process of the, and told story, you know, a, a short mm. story about his dog. And then he went to work and something happened at work. Then he had to go to these hearings. They were really tense. He lived down on a dark road and stuff. And so having his headlight and his signal working were really important. And so he was, and he was a, an elderly gentleman. So, you know, so it's all really stressful for his day. But when he talked about that dog, you could just see the tears in all of these young men's, and they were like, we had no idea, you know. And they don't, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're really being honest, and mm-hmm. that, that they really don't understand. So just being able to hear that and hear that from the person, it really makes them think and see. It's like random is not random. cool. And it's not random. No, I mean, it is, because yeah. you don't know the person, but it's really very specific, because mm-hmm. we are connected. 
So what happened with that case? Did you, did you know? Um, they, well, all th- they did they some community pay. service, and um, they paid to have his car fixed, and mm-hmm. um, it was it had a really you know, and he w- knew all three of the boys then, and so whether they maintained connection after that, I don't know, mm-hmm. but but it did open the door for that. So, um, for some kids, you said that there's a mentoring program after, uh, and and. What is the do, do what is your success rate or not? What what's the do we have numbers about people you know recidivism going back and doing something or does this make a difference? No, I, I truly believe it makes a difference. It's that piece about connection and engagement and and knowing other people and creating positive adult yes. role models in your community and looking at the assets that we're offering for these young people. Um, our recidivism rate um, is about eight to ten percent below the state average. Great. Um, and those, oftentimes, those juveniles that are reoffending are related to motor vehicles or alcohol. Mm-hmm. Are th- those are the two main things that they tend to get uh, recidivated for. <laughs> so, um, but I, I would consider it's a really good success that way, and. Um, that most young people don't. So um, I'm seeing here from the uh, juvenile community corrections officer from Waldo County. He was talking about this was uh, again on your website. What what is the website? In case people want it's rjpmidcoast.org. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, that uh, it's not a get out of jail free card. Mm-hmm. So there are actions and what he was saying is sometimes for first offenders that's actually they have to do more if they've gone through <laughs> restorative justice and i don't before we forget because you were talking about the mentorship there is a training coming up there in is. march so we should mention that mm-hmm. that uh march 22nd from five thirty to 8 um to saturday oh uh yeah yeah, yeah. it's uh, at uh margaret's episcopal church at 100 court street and um but there's another one, March there's 29th? There's three dates. There's oh. three dates. So the first one is March 22nd, then it's Saturday, March 24th, mm-hmm. and then it's the following Thursday, which is March 29th. So you can get involved, and that's 338-2742 for information, and uh, rjpmidcoast.org if you're interested in, in that. Um, don't want to forget that we can that people can get involved as part of the yes. community. Um, we are listening, you are listening, and we are here talking on Healthy Options on WERU Community Radio. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and we're speaking with Margaret Mikolajacek, the Executive Director of the Restorative Justice Project of Midcoast, Maine. We're exploring the healthy options in restorative justice, what it means for victims, offenders, and the community. So um, you also mentioned... Uh, that there are people who have come out of prison and that you're working with them in terms of coming back into the community. So these are men and women who have been part of the system and for whatever reason have been incarcerated. And so that's a whole other, I would say, community, another mm-hmm. population. How do, how do you intervene in that way and how, does, how do those cases come to you? Okay. Um, that program is... Uh, really looks at what it takes for an individual to transition from incarceration back into community. And so we provide, again, mentoring. Um, the mentors play a number of different roles from just being becoming uh, a, a friend 
somebody that they can talk to, somebody that they can hash things out with, somebody that might have access to and help them uh, get resources for housing, um, sometimes employment, sometimes they need counseling, um, uh, and just get that reconnection to community. Driver's license are a big deal, getting your driver's license and insurance, getting mm -hmm. um, an ID card if you don't have license or social security cards, whatever it might be, but really getting yourself reestablished in community. And so the mentors help and assist individuals with that. So I imagine this group is also part of the probation, possibly? Uh, we work more as a partner with probation if the individual is helping them to... Um, one, take accountability for their behaviors and not fall back into old, pa old patterns based on, well, you know, I was really angry at so-and-so, so I decided to go have a beer. Well, that's a violation. You know, it would be a good idea if you were up front with your probation officer or um, if you went and you got high because the drugs and stuff stay in your system and you're going to get, you know, you're going to get drug tested, you know, be upfront about it. Don't let them find out through the test. So just helping to kind of reshape their decision and choices so that they're more proactive and taking more ownership. So in this case, we're not dealing with the circles with the victims and the, this is a different model. It is. And how does that work? It's uh, indifferent that in mo for most individuals, their uh, initial crimes are old. And so it's really difficult to yeah. reconnect unless it's family. And, and that way we can. We have done healing circles with families, with individuals coming back where, um, you know, they were just not available to their family at the time because they were engaged in criminal behavior. They were, you know, dealing or, or doing drugs or drinking and so we've done healing circles with them and their family and their children um, because those are the people that were immediately impacted by their behavior. So it's, it's, it's still based in the same principles of understanding what you did and understanding what your thinking and processing was at that time and thinking about that impact. Um, we do an we work with the Maine Coastal Regional Reentry Center, which is part of, which was the Waldo County Jail and has since changed its mission. And they are working with individuals coming out of Maine State prisons and coming back into community. And they serve their last eight to 12 months at this facility. And so we do an introductory course with them that looks at that impact. Who's been impacted? You know, where is it that you're taking accountability? For your choices. Are they doing this individually or as a group? We or? do it as a group. Mm -hmm. So we really dig into the, the principles and the philosophy of what restorative justice is. And, and a number of times in that group, the men will say, because it's all men that we work with, you know, if somebody would have did this when I was a juvenile, I might not be here today. If somebody would have listened so, to me. Somebody had done that before. You know, and set some guidelines or had some expectations of me, I wouldn't be here today. So, so it all, you know, it, it it travels. And, and even at that point, uh, we had one gentleman who was talking about impact. We were talking about impact. And he was like, so for my daughter, who was like a second grader, this impacted her at school because everybody knew that I had been arrested. And so it, and it was something he never thought about, you know, that her, her classmates, the teacher, and it was so f removed until that moment. It was just like this aha like, wow, I never thought about that. Hmm. So, um, so really, yeah, so really working that way and bringing the restorative philosophy into their coming back into community. The nice thing with the reentry center is that there's also intensive programming that's happening. Um, 
through, through that program where they're participating in a number of different programs that help support that transition. Um, and so our role with the mentors is really looking at pro-social types of activities and community engagement that's not um, using, you know, not involved with drugs or alcohol because that seems to be a premise mm -hmm. for most mm -hmm. um, offenses. Do they get into counseling or work with that on that level professionally uh, with people? Yeah. And yeah, they so have addition, case managers. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, case managers. And mm -hmm. so they are still involved in that way. Um, so the family does come in and some cases or yeah depending on what, what it is mm -hmm. and where everybody's at there's a definitely healing that needs to happen um, mm -hmm. we're really working to make that process um, doing a healing circle a process that they go through before they leave for the everybody yeah what does that involve who's now we know what's involved in that who who those are and really how does that get organized yeah they're really geared towards what the individual's needs are um, so it could be who is going to be your support system when you get out. And do you have a spouse? Do you have a partner? Do you have parents? Um, it could be the case manager. It could be a counselor. It could be um, a grandparent, a best friend. So, mm -hmm. so it's really geared to that individual, and everyone's different. Um, the mentors part part of that, and uh, we have our staff person uh, Suzanne Farley, who's our adult program coordinator. She's part of that as well as um, Joy Knowlton. And so they'll make those arrangements, and they'll do some very similar things that we do with the juveniles by interviewing everybody and talking about what the process is, this is what we're looking at, um, and this is where we're trying to go. So the res there's some type of resolve that happens by the end of it, and people feel like there's hope with this individual coming out and that things are, could really be different. And so it, it creates hope. So, And how long are they involved? What, what's the follow-up once they're... You know, back in the community? Uh, we work with them for 6 to 12 months with their mentor and help, you know, support mm -hmm. them. And, you know, there's definitely six months is a critical time yes. for people to maintain and uh, keep going. So seeing them through that phase is really important. And then the next, you know, milestones are it t tend to be at those year annual marks. You know, mm. are they still employed? Is housing still stable? Is their relationship stable? Um, do they feel, you know, are they becoming overwhelmed with bills and feeling like they're going down the drain again? Um, mm -hmm. so can we help them pick them back up, you know, and keep them motivated to go? So just keeping tabs on and supporting that process. Are they finding jobs? Please. They are. Mm-hmm. Yep. They, we've had really good success. Um, Great. but through the reentry center, by the time they hit level four, they need to be but they're different. Yep. They're, so they, you know, start at one. Well, actually, oh. they start with orientation okay. and work their way up to level four. Okay. So level threes and fours uh, need to find employment uh, or be going to school full time. Mm -hmm. So we've, there's a few of those. Uh, a gentleman that I mentor um, is currently a full time student at UMA looking to graduate this spring with a degree in substance counseling and um, is also working full time. Mm. So, um, yeah. So he's busy. He's very busy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it, but and and he's been in prison for twelve years. So it's a nice transition to get back into the routine of being uh, back out, right, in the world. And I know we were t looking at the what happens in prison and looking at some of the officers and how is this being integrated 
on that level? Mm-hmm. Maybe not our, uh, the program in the Mid-Coast, but is that happening? Yeah, it's... Uh, or is it yeah. something that you're... It's something doing? that I'm really interested in because, of course, um, when you think about how corrections work and how prisons work, it's really about having that power over. You're really responsible for maintaining the safety of not only the inmates, but yourself and your colleagues in that situation. But at the same time, you're also in prison. You know, you get to leave at the end of the day, but you might be there eight to twelve dollars functioning in this system. Hours. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll get to the budget in a minute. Yeah. Right? Hours. <laughs> and, um, so, so you know, it is a way that you're incarcerated because you're not part of a, a, a hopeful place. So, really looking at ta- when we think about doing restorative justice in that and that a philosophy is really making corrections more um, humane and how they approach it, not looking at individuals that they're all conspiring, they're manipulating, they're trying to get over, that if we create this institution that's more humanistic or humanizing, um, that it will change the whole structure. Violence decreases. People will become more collaborative and more partner. And uh, uh, I was reading a recent article talking about corrections officers and kind of helping them to change and shift and, and looking at the health impact of being in, working in a prison for, for a correctional officer, it's um, in the past four years, there's been 39 correctional officers killed in the line of, oh my. while on, on the job. Um, they are 39% higher um, than, the, than the, national, uh, the norm for committing suicide. Mm. And their life expectancy is only 58 years. My goodness. So if as a wow. correctional officer, I think I would want to look at that and say, hey, uh, this is not how I want to spend my life. Right. So I know that there were some programs, in, I think in San Francisco, there was a woman who started a, a program for violent uh, offenders that actually was working pretty well. The Delaney House. There you go. Yes, in yes. San Francisco. And uh, there's mm-hmm. also a branch in New York. Mm-hmm. And, uh, right, it's a facility that's run by ex-offenders, um, yes. ex-convicts. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's uh, 500 individuals in an apartment complex, so it's transitional housing. Um, they offer counseling, uh, drug rehab, uh, looking at building skill trades. So they have businesses that they run. I've, you know, there's an automotive repair. There's a moving company. There's, uh, I don't know, a number mm. of different th- skills. And it's all run by mm. the people. So really, it sounds like a lot of the education that you need to do, probably, let's get back to more local, is a lot of fear. I would say that there would be a lot of fear about, you know, those people, the bad people who are committing crimes. How could we can't be nice to to people who've committed crimes? Mm-hmm. You know, we're inundated that there's good and evil, and you know, how do we work with that? How do you and how do you, how have you negotiated that in within the system? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I think it, again, it's going to that place where we're all individuals, we're all human beings, we all are part of community. Um, the key things that make us human beings is that our social abilities, the, our desire to be connected, um, to feel useful, to be engaged with other people, and that when we have all of those things and we feel that, then we're, we are not going to be committing crimes because we don't want to hurt the community because we value that. So if we value our community, then you're less likely 
to isolate yourself and, and have yourself pushed away. Um, so all, mo most of these people, if you met these men or these women on the street, you, they're really great people. And they have really great skills. It's just that they get into spots and they can't get themselves out. And so they tend to go down in that other direction. So if we believe that everybody deserves a second chance, mm -hmm. then we need to open up and give people the opportunity to have that. And when we think about an individual who's, been in, who's incarcerated, who started being incarcerated when they were 12 or 13 years old, and we think about all the behaviors that they've learned and used for coping and strategizing and, and surviving, and then they're 33 and they're just coming out of the system, there's a lot of behaviors that need changing mm -hmm. and, um, uh, for, in order for them not to continue down that path. Um, and, and there are a few people who function really well within that kind of, of situation um, oh. of structure, of not being able to, being told what to do, when to do it and stuff, because they need that kind of structure. And when we think about those kinds of folks, we need to remember that when we close down all the um, uh, mental health institutions and, and just open the doors and let people out, well, our prisons and our jails are our number one psychiatric and mental health facilities now. So, mm -hmm. so for those people that need that kind of structure, we need to provide that for them somewhere. And a, a community. Healthier. Yeah, exactly. So what's happening? Um, where do you get your funding from? What's happening on this level? Oh, we get it through contracts. Um, uh, Private? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We have a county contract in Waldo oh, County. Okay. Um, and uh, a contract with Volunteers of America to work with providing the mentoring uh, um, at the reentry center, and uh, contracts with schools, and uh, grants, individual donors, so, you know the usual nonprofit routes. Um, right. So you were mentioning some budget cuts. Where's uh, what's happening? Yes, we have had a, a really big cut in our contract with the reentry center, mm. um, and looking at. Um, how do we continue to be able to provide some type of service there? Um, you know, mentoring is seen as one of the key aspects of an uh, individual having success or increased success, um, both at um, not reoffending, so in recidivism rates, and, and having uh, a positive influence on community. Um, and so, so, yeah, so we're really looking at well, how do we do this? How do we make ourselves sustainable? Is, th is this some of those cuts because of the administration in Maine, because of the state, or is this... Yeah, some yes. of it's cuts to the Department of Corrections. Right, and, and so that trickles down. Exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. We are tuned, by the way, to... You are tuned, and we're still talking. I say it each time. To WERU Community Radio, I'm Rhonda Feynman, and this is Healthy Options. We're speaking with Margaret Mikolajacek, Executive Director of the Restorative Justice Project of Midcoast, Maine, and we're uh, speaking about the project's challenges and successes right here in the Midcoast. And um, right now we're discussing uh, some of the budget issues that are going on, and I will just say again that there's a mentor training in March a few of them, right? Are these separate trainings? No, they all connected. they're all part of it. They're oh, all so part of the if same you, series. So the series is Thursday, March twenty second, and Saturday, March twenty fourth, and Thursday, March twenty ninth. 
Okay, and um, that's at Mar- St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in, at, in on 100 Court Street in Belfast. And if you're interested, that's uh, rjpmidcoast.org. That's Restorative Justice Project, rjpmidcoast.org, or call 338-2742 if you want to get involved in that. Well, those are the kinds of things that will still be able to be uh, part of the uh, reentry program, even with budget cuts? or. Um. Yes, because it's the root of the program. It, it, it's a community-based it program. Yeah, we need our volunteers in order to do this program. Um, our volunteers, um, just with the reentry program, volunteer over 100 hours a month and uh, mentoring those individuals and then, you know, the juvenile program. So it's over 7,000 hours of community involvement mm. um, in supporting the program and, and helping mm. individuals to... Way back when, when we were uh, discussing the juvenile, the first offender programs, um, you were mentioning uh, educating teachers about this. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Mm -hmm. getting back to how that works in terms of the community? Um, There's a lot of movement um, within the schools. Um, The school program that we work with is actually a statewide program, and um, it began with a partnership with the University of Orono's Peace Studies Department, and uh, the University of Southern's Maine, Southern Maine's Law and Civic Education program. So we had a staff person from each of those programs who at the time had violence prevention grants. And so the three of us partnered up to begin using uh, and teaching teachers about how to use restorative practices. And uh, the reason to do that is to look at what happens around discipline in schools. And if we look at our schools, schools run very much like a prison. You know, there's not too many pieces difference. There's the expectations of how to behave, when to behave, when to do this, when to do that, when to eat. Sit behind your desk, don't get up. That's right. Um, Don't have any ideas. (laughs) Um, so, uh, so, So working with schools about looking at that and how do we change a punitive system in school? Because what we also know is that kids today in school are not sit behind the desk kinds of kids. They, they are, uh, their brain development is way different than it was, you know, 25 years ago. And mm. there's this one statistic that always blows me away And thinking about the kids that are sitting out there listening to you talk, their brains are functioning 80 times faster than yours. And they're being able to take information in and process it or Google it or do whatever they need to do. So they don't need you to be telling that. So thinking about that and thinking about how our system is still set up in the same way it was when you and I went to grade school, basically. And uh, so working with teachers to create collaborative um, classrooms or restorative classrooms that are really dealing with when there's an issue that we talk about. We don't send them to the office and disrupt the entire class, that if that student's um, disruptive in the class, there must be a reason. So let's find out why. Let's include their peers in it. If, if that's helpful. But let's really change how we, we interact and really create community in the classroom. Um, and then when we look at um, the fact of, of suspensions and expulsions, those are all on the rise, a lot of to do with the zero tolerance policies. Mm. Bullying. The, the bullying piece, harassment, uh, the influx of school resource officers in schools. What's that? The school resource officer is generally a police officer who oftentimes carries a weapon, is in really? uniform, and is basically patrolling. Or How come I didn't know this? And connected to the schools. Wow. And, and it's the idea is that it's more of a community policing. You know, a lot of it has to do with the fact of drugs and coming through the school. 
but um, but it is also this, what grades is this? It's mostly middle school middle and schools. high school, uh-huh. um, but it still creates this presence of law enforcement sure. in, in your educational systems. And uh, looking to the fact that the there's been a, a tremendous increase in law enforcement being called in when there's behavioral issues in the school or. or um, I, certainly, we've all heard the story of a six-year-old who had a temper tantrum over, you know, something that six-year-olds have temper tantrums over, and they put handcuffs on this child and removed him from the school. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, or uh, the little five-year-old who crawls under the desk and won't come out because... She also scared about something. something. Yeah. yeah. So, so we have them arrested by... Uh, you know, a police officer, then it's like, how traumatic is that? But really working to change and to get zero tolerance out of our schools. It doesn't belong there. Um, What the kids need is to feel connected and engaged. Um, So using the conferencing process when there's really serious things, using circles to work with with the, the conferencing, is that within the school or would they call you in, call your project? We in? train staff to be able to do the conferencing themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll do some beginning. If we have a contract with them, we will go in and role model that and work with them on doing that. But really uh, having it be um, an internal process for them that they, they can always depend on. Um, using it for reentry, um, the state of Maine recently passed some bills looking at bullying Oh, um, uh, and looking at alternatives to doing that and, and bringing the kids back into school. So really saying you can't just kick these kids out of school. Huh. There needs to be a reentry plan. You need huh. to get them back engaged in an educational program. Did that just pass? Recently, yeah. Oh, great. Um, good. Just in January. Good. So, so there's some good things happening that way. And um, but schools are the beginning because from the schools, and we also branch out into the families. Because if the kids are using restorative practices in schools, they are learning a certain way to have conversations when there's a conflict or there's some difficulty. They take those skills and they start doing it with their parents or their siblings. And we've actually had students come back to their guidance counselor and say, can I have a copy of the script? I want to do this with my family. And so so the kids are, are really bringing it home and doing it. So when we think about that and having it spread to community, this is the place where that language gets going out. Then if a child does get involved in, the, uh, in a juvenile offense, they're already familiar with the restorative process, so, and the family's familiar with it. So here we go. We get to use this process again. We know we'll be heard. We know that it's going to be something positive that will come out of this mm-hmm. process. Well, well, I know that we were discussing uh, some things about the budget, and I'm, I was looking for a quote. I know there was an article in uh, a number of articles in Tacoon Magazine uh, about restorative justice. Oh, here it is. This was, um, I don't know what year this was from, but David Belden's article, which is different than the one in the winter issue of mm-hmm. Tacoon. But it says, um, it says that uh, in terms of taxpayer money, just to kind of be on that level for a moment, that in the, for, they're talking about San Francisco, it costs around $50,000 to run a juvenile offender through the justice system, and that doesn't count the cost of incarceration, if there be any, versus about $4,500 for a restorative process that typically leaves the victim much more satisfied, which we didn't, we should talk about more about that. The young person reintegrated into the community without even being charged with a crime and much less likely to reoffend, and many community members relieved and grateful. So that's a, a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of saved money, time, resources, and and lives. Yes. And would you say that the victims, after all this, are feeling satisfied that they've gotten what they need to get out of mm-hmm. you know 
being wronged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's very seriously that yeah. we find a victim that's not pleased. But at, at the conclusion, because we work with a juvenile for about three months after mm-hmm. the agreement has been in place, and we'll come back together, and that juvenile has to report out to the group on. Oh, what, so what there's another meeting. There's, yeah, a, there's closure a closure meeting. Yeah, closing circle, and they have to report out on what that experience was like. What did they learn? What did they learn about themselves? And um, and the victims are always really pleased and satisfied with that outcome because mm-hmm. you really see this transformation in this young person through this process mm. and see them going, you know, going from this place of really feeling like they're being shamed and humiliated to this place of like, I'm empowered to change this. I don't have to feel that shame or that guilt. I've taken care of it. I, I can go on. So there's, um, now, are you finding that that there are advocates within the, are there people fighting to get that money back? You know, in terms of reentry, people seeing the good work done or, you know, to, to maintain these programs? Is that? Uh, on our, on your, our, our behalf. On your as, behalf? Yeah, uh, we are doing that. We're yeah. really looking at, um, um, you know, it's a lot of educating also that we're doing. Yes. Um, so both educating and trying to present the bigger picture. We're not just talking about this one. It's not just about the mentoring. It's about all of these other pieces. And because restorative practices and justice are, are really based in relationships um, and in community and connection, it's really hard to put numbers to that and, and track that. We have a lot of anecdotal types of things. We can look at recidivism rates of those individuals. But even if an individual recidivates, what is the growth that's happened? What is the understanding of themselves that they've gained in this process? And um, so, so it's a lot of educating. But yes, we are. We're, we're r- rallying up and getting the board engaged and, and looking at, so how, how do we do this? How do we sustain this work? Because mm. uh, we really feel that it's good work and it's one of the, the next major social movement. It seems to be it seems to be happening. I mean, I'm reading about this all over all over the country, and if it's happening on a local level, I mean, do we know if it's? Do, does anyone ever say to you, "Hey, we use the program in school today"? You know, they call you yeah. up and go, "Hey, you know, oh, yeah. I saw that in this class." You know, so you can be tracking a little bit what's happening mm-hmm. with the the people you trained in different schools. We had two kids who were fighting, and now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get stories like that all the time. Uh, yeah. Principals will call us and tell us, we had this really great conference. This is what happened. Oh, yeah. Yes. And this is what the kids did. And it's always amazing what the kids did. And, and you know, it's, this movement is not just here in the Midcoast or in the United States. The uh, United States is actually the last one to get on board, basically. Um, it's a global movement. And uh, it's very exciting. New Zealand, Germany, Switzerland, mm-hmm. where else? Uh, Europe. Yeah. Um, Canada. Yeah. South so, America. Japan. So, yeah. So we are, um, we are th- again, uh, listening and talking with M- Margaret Mikolajic, who is the executive director of the Restorative Justice Project of Midcoast, Maine. We've been exploring the healthy options in restorative justice and what it means for victims, offenders, and the community. Thanks to our guest, Margaret, uh, who is that executive director. Again, if you want to contact her or get more information, it's rjpmidcoast.org. That's Restorative Justice Project 
of Midcoast, Maine, rjpmidcoast.org, and the phone number is 338-2742 for those uh, mentoring programs that are coming up in March, March 22nd. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering and to Petra Hall for production assistance. Many thanks, of course, to WERU listeners and our supporters who are uh, supporting community radio, making all of our public affairs programs possible. I'm Rhonda Feynman. Thanks for joining us today on Healthy Options. Thank you. Support for WERU health-related programming comes from the Penobscot Bay Press, committed to...